Hello and welcome to the American Cinema Foundation Movie Podcast. I am your host Titus and today I am joined by my friend John Presnell to continue our discussion of the Godfather trilogy. Our previous episode was on the original Godfather and now we're going to try and give you the payoff for what was a fairly long and dense podcast. The first Godfather movie was about the fall of Don Vito Corleone, played by Marlon Brando, and the rise of Michael Corleone as Don, played by Al Pacino. Godfather Part 2 reverses that structure. We see young Vito Corleone rise from an orphan to Don, and on the other hand, we see Michael Corleone reach his peak and decline into loneliness. John, hello, thank you for joining me again, and let's start with the plot and the double structure. Okay, well, thanks for inviting me again, Titus. It's good to be here. As you said, we have the rise of Vito. The movie begins with him at his father's funeral. He's been killed off by one of the local dons in Sicily, and we see his movement to America, New York, and his rise, and yet interspersed back and forth in Turkulary narrative. We have Michael now, and as he moves west and consolidates his power and continues his rise, The first thing that we learn about The Godfather Part 2, to think about it as a movie, has to do with who Don Vito Corleone is. We were given the impression throughout the original movie that Don Vito is the symbol and the embodiment of politics run as a family business. With him, everything turns around the family, and he is a ruler in a neighborhood in New York. Now we see, startlingly, from the opening of the second movie, that he came to America an orphan. Mm-hmm. That's his a entire shocking fa- change. It sure is. We see in that beginning his entire family, his father's been murdered, his brother who sought vengeance gets murdered by the Chichio family, and his mother, begging for Vito's life, she gets brutally murdered right in front of him. And he, with cooperation of others, he's able to escape from Sicily. And we see these wonderful images of him on the immigrant ship heading towards Ellis Island. The Statue of Liberty is right there. And he's by himself. He doesn't speak a word of English. I believe he's about nine years old, incredibly vulnerable. He's even put in quarantine for smallpox for a couple weeks. So here we have this incredibly vulnerable child in this new world with no family left to himself. And you would think this is just a disaster waiting to happen. And yet you think back to the first movie. Here we have this man who's made a reputation and a name for himself and his family, has earned and gained all this respect and has this certain degree of wealth, and power and influence. And it is quite striking that he comes from virtually nothing. We have a huge contrast there, and that's what's great about this second part is that we're able to see him as a young family man with an infant and a wife, how he's able to begin the enterprise that we see towards the end of his life, what he's established several decades later. Yes. So the first couple of facts we have to confront about Don Vito Corleone. He is a boy in the new world at the dawn of the American century. The year is 1901. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And he has these options before him. The likeliest thing is he's just going to be destroyed by circumstances. The world is harsh and he's just an abandoned boy. Turns out, no, because in certain ways he already fits in America. He's a striver from youth. He learns very quickly to work hard and to make his way even when circumstances don't favor him. And so we get the sense of him circa World War I and later in the 20s. Oh yeah, it's the Roaring Twenties, and Vito is on the make. Everyone is. And he has a great chance at success. But his all-American story isn't all-American because of his origins. His origins are very, very bloody. 
why did he take this other option? His experience of Sicily is, as you said, having his family exterminated in short order in front of him. And nevertheless, this is the order he brings to America. He perfects and to the top of which he rises. There is a symbolic scene later in his adulthood of him assassinating the man who assassinated his family. Mm -hmm. But that at the same time means taking his place. Yes. That is who he will become. It's a competition. That's this right. It's part of the shocking truth that Coppola and Puzzo want us to confront. Don Corleone, once he survived, he had the chance to Americanize and everything favored it, given his success. But he brought ideas with him and passions and the learning that just wouldn't fit in America. And all the success he could get in America was never going to change him for that reason. Mm -hmm. There were things deeper in his heart than any of this. His return to Sicily shows that all his success never taught him to forget the past. He wants to kill the man who killed his family. Nobody's going to take that away from him. That's right. So also we learn looking at the young Vito Corleone why the old Vito Corleone was always telling his sons never tell the truth outside the family, never let people know what you think. You have to be cold and calculated. Mm -hmm. Sicily, yeah, the land of hot passions, is also the land of cold intrigue. That's right. So when we first see him as a young man, the Robert De Niro portrayal, he's working as a grocery delivery boy. We see his family, his young wife and his infant child, which is Sonny. At this point, it seems unexceptional in the sense that you could imagine a story where he would have just worked hard and rose above and made his way just through ordinary work. But he finds himself in this dilemma when the local Don of that time, a man named Fanucci, he extorts money from all local businesses for protection. And he tells the owner of the grocery store, get rid of this guy and put my nephew in there. And so now he's unemployed. How is he going to provide for his family here? And so he makes that decision. And it's a decision decision that he's brought with him. Choose the Sicilian option, you might say, rather than just say, I don't go find another job. Uh, we've got this godfather in this neighborhood, Fanucci, and so I need to replace him. That's a precursor to what he's going to do later in Sicily with Don Ciccio. But that move, here he is in this ethnic enclave. He doesn't really have a lot of options. And so rather than just suffer those circumstances, he's going to take it into his own hands and go after the man on top. That's quite an extraordinary move. The friends that he has, they fear Fanucci. I think they call him the Black Hand. But young Vito just says, we could just take him out. As you point out, he is not alone. He starts young with two friends. These will become the junior friends of his family, the familiares, Tessio mm -hmm. and Clemenza, whom we know That's from right. Godfather. You see from the beginning what the difference between them was. They had Americanized enough because they were not that ambitious. They're willing to pay a protection racket and they don't think of doing extraordinarily dangerous things that would put them outside all order and law. Vito does not have that problem. The way he reacts in the new world and the difference between him and his friends, who we assume are most like him and whom he most trusts, shows that something in his childhood called out to something that was in his nature. Clemenza has some guns and he needs to have them hidden because cops are banging on his door. So he throws them to his neighbor that he doesn't know, which turns out to be Vito. He says, I'll do you a favor if you hide these for me. And sure enough, later he says, I've got the favor. I've got a friend of mine who's got a rug for you. Turns out this is just petty crime, theft, breaking and entering. That's the horizon, the perspective of Tessio and Clemenza is just petty crime. Vito sees something else here that you're just going to be working in Fanucci's army, be one of his soldiers. And this is not something that he is happy with. So he is quite ambitious, quite audacious. 
that Vito is willing to step beyond the rules of the ethnic Italian neighborhood that his friends nevertheless accept intrinsically presages how Michael himself will step beyond all the limits he has grown up with. And it suggests something about the relationship between the old world and the new world. People Americanized out of necessity and gratitude and fear. Whereas Vito doesn't think that way. He isn't grateful to anybody because he wants to make his own way, which seems like an all-American quality, but prevents him from Americanizing because he has brought certain passions and ambitions with him from the old world. In the new world, you don't get to murder people who murdered in your family. You don't get to have blood feuds because you're not above the law, because the law is not made for families. Everyone gets due process. Everyone has certain rights and equality under the law. If you don't think that way, however, there are all sorts of things that in your soul could come with you on that boat trip. That's true. And it seems strange that the most ambitious is the least Americanized because he will not accept American limits. Well, when you see your own mother executed right in front of your face, I would imagine that stays with you. He sees Fanucci here in Little Italy as a version of what he had left behind. So in a certain extent, you've just transplanted from the rocky soil of Sicily to the streets of Manhattan. And there's a difference. If you want to make uh, a joke about Italy and America, you could say that in Italy, the mafia takes your family. In America, just your job. That's right. But it can still humiliate a man enough to do damage. Of course, Fanucci walks around flamboyantly with his white suit, stands out, and most of the immigrants there have Americanized enough. They complain and they have grievances against Fanucci, but they don't take that option that Vito does. And Vito begins to calculate, he can replace this guy, then he can run it on his own. That's something he brought with him. It is the foundation of what becomes the family business. Yeah, unlike what we expected of Don Vito, who is all justice and generosity in The Godfather, he started out in blood. Mm -hmm. First as a victim and hunted, and then as a murderer and rising ambition. Mario Puzzo and Francis Ford Coppola have no delusions about the origins of the grandeur of the Godfather as played by Marlon Brando. Robert De Niro brings a certain coldness and ferocity to the role. Yes. He doesn't blink when he murders people. So we see how on an American stage this problem plays out of great ambition that surpasses any obedience or any limits. Vito chose the path he chose because there was more glory and more respect to be had in it. In America, Mm -hmm. you can't terrify people into obedience, and that might limit the achievements a certain ambition can achieve. You can think of somebody like Steve Jobs, who is a demigod of libertarian America, but he kept getting thrown out of his own company. Don Vito would have never stood for that. But for the same reason, he could never achieve quite what Steve Jobs achieved. There are limits to what old world methods will yield in the new world. This compares with the section we see with Michael Corleone in his new founding. He is, at the beginning of Godfather Bar 2, moved into Nevada on the mm-hmm. Nevada side of Lake Tahoe. Mm-hmm. This is the late 50s, and so Nevada is still, in certain ways, pristine territory. It is the Wild West of America, and new foundings are possible here, like Las Vegas. 
as you pointed out to me, no senator would show up at the Corleone wedding or any event in New York. That's no problem in Nevada, apparently. That's right. right. Yeah, so we have a senator. He is there. And of course, Michael has contributed money to a worthy cause, a cause for children. So the senator, we find out in secret or in a private meeting that, of course, he has no respect whatsoever for Corleone and their ilk with their, I believe he says, greasy hair. That publicly, it somehow is much more legitimate for him to be there to accept the money for a worthy cause, to show some respect for what the Corleones and others like them have brought to Nevada. Whereas nobody shows up to Connie's wedding, no senator. Here we have a certain moving towards the respectable and the public. Yes, you're right. Michael has moved forward out west. Manners are not what they are in New York City and respectability doesn't count in the same way. And so you can move halfway to legitimacy. The senator will be there, but only because he's trying to rob you of money and to tell you how much he hates your entire ethnicity. The class difference has not been erased in the west. There is law in the west as well and it functions as a class divide between criminals like the senator and criminals who do not have the law on their side. Mm -hmm. And Michael is apparently perfect at home in this situation. What he does is issue threats of his own against the senator and start plotting to bring him down. Yes. This is a version of Sicily and Michael is all too yes. familiar with it. Yes, yes. So Michael wants to buy some new hotels in Vegas and the senator who's well connected to the gaming commissions out there, he's going to extort some money out of Michael. You know, the senator says, you know, come back by noon tomorrow. I want to have your answer. You're going to give me my deal. You're going to give me a cut off profits and you got to pay me a couple hundred grand to get this license. And Michael just tells him, well, I'll tell you my answer now is no. And so he's going to find out the Sicilian method of acquiring this hotel. The Corleones were born in corruption. Mm -hmm. The senator is just an amateur at the game. That's right. There is a parallel between the senator and Fanucci. If you pay me my tribute, I'll extort this money and I'll provide certain benefits to you, kind of tip for tat here, and we can all just move along. And it's a win-win situation. And Michael doesn't like win-win situations, just like his father Vito. And so there's this yes, the exactly. person who's making this kind of offer to him, whether it's Fanucci. Fanucci wants Vito to become one of his soldiers. The senator, he's a little more threatening, but he's willing to make deals. But both of them just say no. They have those older Sicilian methods of replacing. You. Yep. So the difference between the old world and the new world shows up as a difference between politics and economics. In economics, we're always told there are win-win situations and rising tides will lift all boats. But you cannot get rid of the political passions of men that cause them to take insult, to give insult, and to want blood. There's no win-win there. In politics, some win and others lose, or maybe all lose, but it's not possible that all win. Yep. And this is what the Corleones show in America, about America, but also about the old world. Some part of being Corleone, lion-hearted, is mm -hmm. maybe even preferring a lose-lose situation to a win-win situation. Yeah. Yes. And this yes. is something audiences maybe are not ready for, but even in America, when this spectacle is on screen, it's bewitching. It is incredibly persuasive. And we see how much Michael is his father's son and how ambiguous certain all-American qualities, going out west, making your own way in the world, starting a business, not taking no for an answer, all the hardihood and toughness, what Tocqueville calls putting so much manliness into fortune mm -hmm. and trying mm -hmm. again and again. Turns out that they're not entirely new world attitudes. They're partly old world attitudes and this could get really dangerous really fast.
this new situation in Nevada where the Corleones again at their compound throw a family party where all are invited who are familiares, who are friends and who owe and are owed favors within the Corleone family. This hasn't fundamentally changed the situation from Godfather or from Sicily. It's just where the Corleones feel that they will have more success. Yes, it's a replication of the same thing. Although there are new contexts, obviously America is that new context. And of course, Michael is more American, surely, than his father. And if we remember, and in the first part, to kill the police captain, the way you can get around that is the use of the press. And similarly with the senator, a decade or so later, Michael blackmails him. He sets him up with a dead prostitute. And that's how he's going to manipulate the senator. So he has perhaps some new American tools, but they're still Sicilian. Yes, he has learned that in America, the underworld can blackmail the overworld, that (laughs) you can use publicity against public people. If you stick to your own sense of your own importance, you could do incredible damage to people who think that they're very important but they're only as important as America will let them be. And something as simple as the press or a frame-up could ruin people. They have way more to lose than they understand. And in America, the underclasses or the underworld don't have to be obedient and fearful of splendid and important people. There's more equality. Yeah, well, in Sicily, you take your action and the action speaks directly to the other family and exclusively. And somebody wins and somebody loses. Here, you take your action against the obstacle and obviously it's against them. But then you have to speak to the public. This is a democratic thing. It can't just be a personal vendetta. You have to present it in a way that is appealing to the public opinion. Yes, there are other arbiters. Yes. There's always America complicating every personal problem. And yet that can itself, of course, be manipulated, and he's very adept at it. (laughs) Yes. He doesn't think America is way out there. He thinks America is at his disposal, that he's part of it, or at least mingling among it. It's not foreign to him. But it's worth noting that the move out west, this is an all-American story, so we get immigration, as you pointed out, and the moving out west, exploring the border, looking for new frontiers. But this also reproduces Sicily in another way. Lake Tahoe turns out to be a way wilder place than New York ever was. And so Mm -hmm. there's a shootout in the Corleone compound. Michael, who survives partly by accident, knows immediately that somebody within the family betrayed him. It turns Mm -hmm. out that it's way more Sicilian than you'd have expected. Like the Nevada desert recalls the Sicilian desert, other dangerous things are paralleled as well. Yeah, the myth of the American frontier, the West, is the place where you can go and you can start over again, begin a new identity as the frontier continues to move out West and all you need to rely upon is just your own natural resources in an American way to preserve democracy. I'm thinking of Frederick Jackson Turner's frontier thesis. And yet what we see here is that the frontier... Yes, it's the Wild West, but it still continues what you already find in the old Sicily. So it's not so much the expansion or safety valve for maintaining democracy in America. It's instead, at least from Michael's point of view, reproducing what was already in Sicily. And of course, all the stories of gunslingers, famous bandits, the heroes of the dark fantasies of America, they mm-hmm. are just like that, but they don't have the right. planning involved. They're That's not right. thinkers. 
Coppola learned from John Ford that when you go out west to start again, you really do have to start everything again from the bottom of justice and law. <laughs> you confront the primordial unjust situation of harshness and chaos undiluted without any protection. So we see a new founding where law might not be a serious thing after all. Who knows? It's true that the Corleones prosper here, but because Michael is in charge in a new place without the limits placed by the five families or his father, his father's legacy or his father's friends, previous generations, Michael can work out his own version of his father's principles, which is way more American and far more individualistic. Right. And yet we have, of course, his brother. We find out Fredo, who's been passed over. And so he's just kind of placed in these secondary roles. We find out he resents this, perhaps inadvertently, but he ends up where he betrays his family, betrays Michael. And that's where that hit in that opening scene there in Tahoe. That hit is going to take out not just Michael, but his entire family. Luckily for Michael and his family, nobody is killed. It's a botched assassination attempt. Out West, his individual prowess can establish a new foundation. And he is away from the five families and the whole history of New York. But the family is still a place. Fredo himself, in a way, is an individual to go against the family. He's going to seek his fortune individually. Yet that threatens the whole family. Fredo, in the first Godfather movie, the first of the Corleones to make it to Vegas, he is going out with dancers, taking things fairly easy. He has no interest in upholding the family honor. And at some point, his younger brother, Michael, who is nevertheless Don, has to tell him never to take sides with anybody outside the family against the family. Fredo has Americanized as well, if in his envious, resentful, lackadaisical manner. And so you see the pull of America on the Corleone family. It's not just Michael. We learned that the daughter Connie, who was at the center of the ritual of justice of the Godfathers, is married some American nobody who's sponging off her. He's the umpteenth husband, and that, she's yeah. getting drunk and humiliating her family. What is more all American than that, I ask you? Yeah, yes, that's right. So Sonny is dead, of course. He's gone. But yes, Fredo and Connie, not having any prominent role in the family business, nonetheless have opportunities to explore their individuality, but without any end or purpose. Or responsibility. uh, Most tellingly, they're not responsible for their children. They've already abandoned the Italian-Sicilian holiness of family. Right. Whereas, of course, Michael has a great attachment to his son, Anthony. Right before the attempted massacre takes place on his bed pillow is this little picture. Do you like it, daddy? Yes or no? So he has perhaps a more of an American relationship with his children, but nonetheless, it's a strong bond with his children. But that perhaps has even been Americanized. Hard to believe a young Michael making crayon pictures for Vito for his approval. Yes, Um, I agree. We see with the beginning juxtaposition of the young Vito and Michael Corleone in the fullness of his powers, they are far more alike than they seem, but nevertheless, America has transformed things Unlike his father, Michael Corleone is dragged in front of Congress to be (laughs) accused of being a mafioso, and he has to deny it in whatever cagey American way he has cooked up with lawyers. He cannot speak here in his pride. He cannot Mm -hmm. be open, but he is in front of the public, and so he faces one hard limit. 
America in the embodiment of Congress is putting limits on your life. And so, as you pointed out to me, he does what any American would have done, go international. Mm-hmm. His first yes. attempt is get Cuba, like America right. did briefly. That's right. The frontier closing, so you find the new frontiers externally. Cuba 1898, I guess we have Cuba 1959 or so. Of course, we find out that Cuba is not just virgin territory. Obviously, you have the relationship between the Batista government and all of these families, and Hyman Roth in particular, running the casinos and the hotels and the entertainment and nightclubs and so on down in Cuba. And so Michael, we now know he has these ambitions to go to Cuba. Perhaps certain things have played themselves out in Nevada. He's coming under scrutiny in Congress. Cuba might be more conducive to his ambitions or a further place to continue it. Of course, it turns out Cuba is not the frontier, that he's right in the middle of Castro's insurgency and revolution. He recognizes that the way of working with the politicians and buying off the people, this is just not going to work in Cuba. But that's his ambition anyway. And it is outside of the purview or the law of Congress. Yes, Much like America, Michael Corleone himself tries and fails to get Cuba, and this is as serious a problem today in 2018 as it was in 74 when the movie was made, or in 59 when Castro came to power. By the way, his legacy is still in power in Cuba. Yes. There, Michael recognizes very quickly the old world that his father had escaped. He sees a man threatened by policemen who commits suicide by explosion and takes the policeman with him. Again, something very familiar to us today, suicide terrorism. Mm -hmm. And uh, unlike us, he has no doubt about the fact that the terrorist is in some strange way manly and might be a winner. He says on the one side there are the men with the money, and on the other, people who are willing to die. They might just win. You see the conflict between economics and politics, and politics might just win. And there's that great scene. They're sitting outside on the rooftop of this hotel in Havana, and all of the mobster heads are there. And they have the cake and they're going to cut up Cuba and distribute out the pieces one to each other. They've made their deals with the government. The American corporations have been there. Everybody's on board. Everybody's going to get their slice. And yet that's where that conversation comes up. And that's when Michael says the problem is, is that they could win the revolutionaries. And of course, they do win. And why will they win? Because this guy is willing to blow himself up. Yep. Michael recognizes from his own experience and from his family's past that not everybody can be deterred, not everybody can be scared, and not everybody can be bought off. There are some people that will not live by law or live under fear. Yeah. Here's the violence and the willingness to kill. One could assume is the basis of all of these families. Here on this rooftop hotel, these older guys now have become comfortable and just pretty much think you can just negotiate certain kind of deals with some money under the table, maybe a little extortion. But basically, we'll all have this win-win situation as we slice up Cuba like it's a cake. And Michael, in certain contexts, he would be up to the challenge for taking someone out, but he realizes that Cuba's just too big for him. He bows out. He's not going to join. Yep, and this is the first time Michael Corleone sustains a big defeat. Mm-hmm. Three things happen all at once. One of them, he remembers his old Sicily and recognizes it in Cuba and realizes that the old world has him licked. He may win in the new world, he can't in the old world. It's not home. <laughs> the second thing he realizes is that his brother has betrayed him. That's right. And this seems to put an end to the house of Corleone as a loyalty. 
And the third thing that happens is got to kill and fails to kill Hyman Roth, mm -hmm. the Jewish mafioso who is his enemy and who had staged the attack on the Corleone compound in Nevada. Here we see Michael confronted with his limits. From now on, his victories are no longer of an expansionary character. They're just about defending what he's got, and we see him take losses again and again and again. The rise of Corleone begins to smell of tragedy, if only a little. This brings us to one of the strange characters in the movie that seems to make no sense because of his arrogance and foolishness, Frank Pentangeli. Yes. He is part of the familiares of the Corleone, but mm -hmm. he has complaints against Michael because Michael isn't sufficiently a Corleone. He is not so much like his father as like one of his father's business partners and enemies, Hyman Roth. This is what Pentangeli brings up. Michael may not be turning into his father. Michael mm -hmm. may be turning into a Corleone version of Hyman Roth, about whom Michael himself says he thinks he's going to live forever. He's 80, he thinks he's never going to die. And you see here some of the logic of Vito and Michael Corleone. You have contenders take them out. Mm -hmm. And this could end up with you old, retiring in Florida, but you still can't help assassinating people for no good goddamn reason, even as death's knocking at your door. You could be a zombie of that murderous politics forever. That's right. You can watch Notre Dame football on the television set and eat lunch and still make these deals that's going to require you to, to murder or even to lie boldface. That meeting where Michael meets with Hyman in Florida there, they're both lying to each other. So Michael is saying, oh, well, it was Frank Pantangeli who set me up. And so I need to get your permission to go after him. And Hyman Roth, of course, who was the one who set it up, said, of course you have my permission. No matter where you end up, the violence and the scheming of what you've had to do to acquire just to maintain is just not going to end. But it is less glorious. Of course, you're just getting older as well. Michael is getting older. Yes, and it's becoming somewhat harder to avoid the destiny of Hyman Roth. He has alienated his own family because he doesn't know how to run it. And they have disappointed and Fredo betrayed him as well. What is the difference between the two of them as they lie to each other knowing full well that each one tries to murder each other? It's a mirror act. Right. Pantangeli moved into the old Corleone house back in New York. Still has those roots there and he knew the father and he has a certain way of thinking and understanding. And there's the Rosado brothers who keep pressuring and he says, I want to take these guys out. Of course, he thinks... Come on, Michael, this is just the way things are done. And if Michael has his other ambitions, and so this requires him to work or negotiate with Hyman Roth and to deceive Hyman Roth at the same time and to bring Pentangeli into his deception that he has the scene. He meets with Pentangeli in the old Corleone home, in his old father's study. And now we see Michael is telling Pentangeli, don't go and take out the Rosados, no matter how obnoxious and threatening they are. We're going to have this pretend game where I'm going to tell Hyman Roth that I thought it was you behind the attack on my home in Tahoe. I'm going to have you negotiate with the Rosado brothers who've been working with Hyman Roth. This is a way that he thinks he's going to outfox Hyman Roth with regard to the Cuba deal. And none of this works. The Rosado brothers attempt to kill Pentangeli, who thereby gets arrested and becomes a witness for the FBI, which leads to the congressional hearings. And of course, it was always Hyman Roth who was behind this deal from the get-go, and he has to deal with him. He, he's running into some real problems here that the methods that he's used before and, and even his great calculating mind are reaching limits. Of. His plans are getting too complicated for his own good. 
so he ends up alienating his own family, Pantangeli mm-hmm. included. Mm-hmm. You're perfectly right about this. You have a montage of murders in mm-hmm. Godfather Part 2, like in Godfather Part 1, but it means something very different. Yes. In the first movie, it was Michael liberating himself from New York and making the way for a new founding. In this case, it not only signals the failure to add Cuba to the Corleone domains, but it also signals the failure to protect the family. This time, the price he pays ultimately to get Hyman Roth killed is Pantangeli has to die as well. That's right. The family has been divided and he's losing everything. He's losing his wife, his sister is alienated from him, and he will have to murder his own brother. This is the massive failure that announces the later tragedy of Michael Corleone. And Frank Pantangeli's death is itself amazing. He's in witness protection, but Corleone, through his lawyer, adoptive brother, Tom Hagen has made it clear to him that he has to commit suicide because he has things to lose, a family. Michael himself apparently doesn't. That's right. Pentangeli is instructed to die with dignity in the noble Roman fashion, to (laughs) draw out his blood, to cut his veins in the bath. Another bit of the old world. Just uh, as the conspirators against the old emperors, when caught, would take their own lives, you must do the same. Yet there is this threat against his family and also a promise if you do this, your family will be taken care of. Pentangeli was a man of passions to his dying day. He had it in him to commit suicide in Mm -hmm. this noble, contemptuous manner. And as you pointed out, implicitly Michael thinks of himself as a Roman emperor in (laughs) pagan times. (laughs) But it shows that the Corleone family and their familiars are now dying. Dying an old world noble death, but they're still dying. That's right. And the murders now become uprooted from some larger object to even further acquisition of prestige and power and wealth. Now it's just Fredo's got to go because he betrayed the family and he's untrustworthy. You know, Hyman Roth is on his way to prison. He's obviously being prosecuted. And so he tries to seek refuge in Israel who won't take him. And that's just payback for the attempt on his family. And then Frank could obviously give up the goods to the feds. And so you get him out of the way. But what is acquired from this? Nothing. And as you said, he loses his family. And of course, with Kay, his wife, she's pregnant at the beginning of the movie. And then we find out that she lost her child. Later, she tells Michael that she had an abortion. At the same time, she tells him, I'm taking the kids and I'm leaving you. And of course, Connie is off who knows doing what. And so Michael has no family. If you think of Vito Corleone's rise, Part of having to take out Fenucci is because he's ambitious and he has this grand dream of supplanting him and being the godfather of the neighborhood. Yet part of it is he has to take care of his family. So the family is their key. Michael has no family to preserve or protect at this time. He even tries to push Tom Hagen away. Tom Hagen says, no, I'll stay with you. Stop pushing me away. But obviously that relationship's going to be strained as well. Yes. And Michael ends up alone turning the family business into making family a business fails and the old world model of politics fails even in the new more propitious territory of the American West. This is also when Michael remembers what the Corleone family was like in its moment of promise. 
when all the three brothers are at the table, mm-hmm. they're throwing a birthday party for their father, for Don Vito. His sister is there, and one of his brothers brings the sister's future <laughs> husband. Right, Some of his, the father's friends from his past are there with him, and they're all chatting. And here we see Michael Americanizing. He says, oh yeah, they're 9-11. Pearl Harbor had just happened. And he did the American thing. He signed up. His yeah, brother it's says, back. that's so stupid, you're dying for strangers. And Michael says, I don't see it that way. And yet all this American future turned out to mean not that Michael is willing to die for strangers. It turned out to mean that he's willing to treat his family as strangers and kill even them. That's a really good point. We were talking about this. If you look at the end of the rise of Vito Corleone, after he's killed Fenuce and we see him take care of a problem with a woman with her landlord, and Vito sits on the steps with his family, and they listen to a lute playing of some sort, and the music goes through, the beautiful music. And here he is with his family. And, of course, at the end of the modern story, Michael's story, He just sits in a lawn chair, gazing out of Lake Tahoe, totally isolated, all through his own workings as he's turned war against his own family. And so we're coming to the conclusion of our Godfather Part 2 story. This is a great example of using an unusual narrative structure, cutting in between the past of Vito Corleone and the present of Michael, to show in parallel how differently men who are actually so similar psychologically ended up and that all of it has to do with America, that one of them could survive and thrive in America and the other one reached his peak and self-destructed in America. It seems to show the limits of the old world politics and at the same time the limits of individualism. Michael is working out throughout the story his individualism, just like it's not strictly necessary to kill Hyman Roth, that's just revenge. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really necessary to kill Frank, he had Mm -hmm. been silenced and certainly not to kill his own brother. But he can't help himself. Or even to turn away Kay, and of course she's leaving, but that scene where she's back visiting the children, and she says to Anthony, give me one last kiss, and Michael says no, and they slam the door in her face. It is just incredibly cruel. And then, of course, he tries to push that cruelty on Tom Hagen, too. That's an American individualism and a ruthless individualism. And yet the whole beginnings was the family business, yet there is no family. Of course, his mother has died, too. He says, not going to kill Fredo until mom dies. And well, she's dead. Okay, take Fredo out. On this point, the unnamed character, his bodyguard that he takes with him down to Cuba, who is this guy? At first, he seems to be just exceptionally effective, quite a sinister, scary character. He's another Luca Brasio, and yet he fails in the attempt to kill Hyman Roth. He's bringing in people that nobody else in the family even knows who they are, and yet he trusts them. He can talk business in front of them. So Michael has his own individual ambition that is destructive to his family. And and ultimately, it just leaves him by himself, and he's hit his limits. And so where does he go from there? It seems as if that's just going to be the conclusion. Can he just rest satisfied being a casino manager? I guess that points to the third part. What's the next chapter in this story? Yes, and as we have tried to 
point out how Godfather 2 answers to Godfather 1, complicating our pictures of both Don Vito and Michael Corleone, it also sets up Godfather Part 3, the necessary tragic ending of Michael Corleone. But that will have to be our next episode. Sure. Thanks a lot for joining me, John. This has been great. I hope our audience sees as we've tried to lay out the great complexity of the movies and how they reward attention. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed our conversation very much. Until next time. Okay. Okay.